I don't know if you have noticed, as I was driving yesterday, I saw a few formations of geese. Have you started seeing the geese flying? You hear them honking, right? And uh, it reminded me of the familiar formation of the flight of the geese, and you've heard how that together they fly further than any of them could fly alone. That's this word synergy. If you heard that word, maybe you've used it before, you know what it's about. Something that is greater as a whole than it is the sum of its parts. And I am often amazed, whether it's counting the offerings or the work that's being done or the missionaries that are getting supported, just the work that's being done at Stony Bank, I'm often amazed. I, I just think of that sense of synergy, how that together so much more is being accomplished than any one of us could alone, and, and not even the sum of our parts, but somehow that work is being done as the Lord blesses. And so people are beginning to take their places in Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 1. The walls are complete, the gates are hung, and now it came to pass when the wall was built that I'd set up the doors and the porters and the singers and the Levites, they're all appointed to their place. Like a director of a great movie, and the stage is set, and now the time for action. The balance of the chapter, as I mentioned, verse 5 and following, are the credits. And they start the roll, and we'll lose interest quickly because we're not related to any of them. We're not looking for our name in lights in any way. Your translation may begin, though, in verse 1. Mine says, now. Yours might say, after this, or then it was, it sounds a little bit like a lazy, I don't know, Saturday afternoon, and you just had lunch, and so then after that, you know, you went out and cut the grass. Nothing very exciting happened, but I want you to understand that when you read that fact um, in, uh, for, uh, for Tom's lesson in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel begins now after this, or something like that. There's some urgency about that, because if you go back to chapter, the last chapter of 1 Samuel, the, uh, Saul had just been killed. His head had been cut off. They rode through the cities to display that. They put his armor in an in a ungodly place, worshipped to another god, and then they slung his body over the wall of the city. All of that to put the Israelites in fear. Chapter 6 of Nehemiah ends, and they wrote this letter, <coughs> excuse me, and they sent it off to Nehemiah, which we read about last week. And what was the purpose? To put him and all those who were building on the wall, to put them in fear. And now, so there's urgency that comes with chapter 7, even though so much of it is going to lose our interest. But as with any great effort, as time passes, there is the increased possibility that we might drift apart. The work is done, the walls are built, the gates are hung, and now, now the enemy would love nothing more than to separate us out and to see this thing go to waste. Separately, we may even put forth the same sort of effort that we ever did when we met together. I don't, and I use this illustration because we, we kind of talk this way nowadays, right? Post-COVID, right? Pre-COVID, then COVID, post-COVID. And you know what happened at churches during COVID, right? 
And now I hear people talk differently. People will say to me, like they'll, they'll talk about more worship services being attended than they ever did when they went to their own church. That's because they're watching them online, right? So they're, they're, they're probably putting in more effort. They're watching three or more services on a Sunday morning and they're worshiping God. I'm not disdaining that at all. But I'm telling you, the effect is less than when we gather together. You might be putting forth the same effort, but it's not the same if we don't gather together. So taking action together now is always better than working separately at a more convenient time. Now, when the wall was built, the workers are appointed. Now is always the time for being on guard, and the first person he appoints are these porters. Your Bible may say gatekeepers. These are the sentries. These are the guys that stood watch. The walls are a form and a symbol of separation, and the gates cannot now be left unlocked or unattended or unguarded. The porters were appointed at various stations along the wall, in particular at the gates of the wall, in order to guard who came and went from the city, which we'll see that again in a moment. And I just pause for application. There is a certain indifference that has crept into most modern homes. Because when we have everything we ever wanted, then we say to the Lord, or we say to the church, or we say to the old preacher, I'm fine, thank you very much. You ever been to a store, and you know what you're looking for, and you can find most any of it, and you don't need any help, and the clerk, which we don't have too many of them nowadays, but comes over to you and says, may I help you? And you say, oh, no thank you. Why? Because you know what you need. It's there. It's not a problem. It's not an issue. When you don't have what you need, And when you're searching for an answer, and when you're looking for hope, people come to the church and they say, I need help. But now the walls are built. They had everything they needed. And in most modern homes, we have most everything we ever needed. And as a result, we've let down our guard. And as a result, the world has crept into most modern homes. Worse yet, our churches have become, we talked about it this last Wednesday night, Our churches have become more and more like the world as we have let down our guard. We used to talk about words like separation, distinction on how we are different from the world, but we've left the gates unattended. Did you know, by the way, the Bible says far more about maintaining a godly lifestyle? So our distinctions as a Christian in the world. It says far more about those distinctions than it does about doctrinal distinctions. Now, I'm not against doctrine. I want to support doctrine. Our church has a great doctrinal statement. Don't get me wrong. But the Bible says far more about your personal distinction as a believer in an ungodly world than it does about doctrinal distinctions. Paul wrote not to keep company with the world. Is there a guard at the gate of your mind? Is there a guard at the gate of your heart? Or do you just look at, read about, try to pay attention to the things that the world's watching because you don't want to seem like the outcast or the 
the odd man out around, the, as we used to say, the water cooler as conversations are held at work. You don't want to be sort of out of tune with everybody else. And so you just watch what everybody else is watching. You listen to what everybody else is listening to. Is there a guard over what you say? Is there a guard over your vocabulary? The jokes you tell, the stories you tell. Now probably in this congregation that's true. But in reality, in the world today, more and more people talk like, act like, and look like the world. There is less and less distinction from a believer to an unbeliever than ever before. Psalm 114 says, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Incline not my heart to any evil thing to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity. Now. Now with some urgency is the time to set a guard. He also establishes, what's the next one? The singers. It's important. According to verse 67, if you went down to the end of the chapter, he starts listing some of the others. If you go down to verse 67, I'm not going to go through the whole list, but if you look at it, he's got a choir of 245 men and women. That's pretty impressive, don't you think? You ever been in a place where they just had wonderful choirs and all the people are singing together and it's just uplifting the Lord? It's a wonderful thing. Is there anything more telling of the condition of somebody's heart than to listen to the music, their playlist, right? Bob Coughlin, in a book called Worship Matters, wrote, The better we know God through His Word the more genuine our worship will be. What is worship? Well, I won't take you into a lengthy, but I could give you just this one verse, Psalm, or excuse me, Colossians 3 and verse 16, where it talks about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Somebody said, right? Psalms are simply songs of praise for what God has done. Praising God for what He has done, whether it's the world or, or just His creation or or, or his salvation, hymns are songs of adoration for who God is, his character. Spiritual songs are thanksgiving for what God has done for me. Very personal. Harry Ironside said, The spirit of praise is the spirit of power. Now, let that sink in just for a moment. The spirit of praise, worship, song is the spirit of power. If you have no song in your heart, now I'm not asking how good you are as a singer, and I'm not asking you to be like me because my wife gets irritated because I'm always tapping on something because I've always got something in my head rattling around, right? Some music, something's going on. I'm not asking for that. But if you just have no song in your heart, you are in a weak place as a believer. Not because you're a bad singer but likely because you haven't been spending much time in the Word of God. Not that you listen to the radio all the time, not that you're a great singer, or not that you have a song you're going to sing for the congregation next Sunday, or that you can play an instrument. But if you spend time in the Word of God, there's something that wells up within you in worship and song and spiritual songs. The greatest songs that any of us can remember are songs that have taken the Word of God and applied it to some of the worst circumstances that a person has ever gone through. You ever 
heard, and of course, Eloise was, was one of our great hymn storytellers, but if you've ever heard some of the stories behind some of the greatest hymns that you know and appreciate, they have come out of some of the worst circumstances of life, and the Word of God has come along and meant something in that person's life, and the song comes. You may not be able to carry a tune, or you might be like me, and you're your, uh, your bucket of tunes has a, a few holes in it. But if you don't enjoy music, you have no joy. And if you have no joy, it's because God's Word is not in you. A third important group to put in place just are the general servants. So we've got the, we've got the porters or the guards, the sentries. We've got the singers the worship is established, the Word of God is important, and the joy of the Lord is evident, and now we have the Levites, these servants. These were identified back in chapter 4, and he says, we have returned every one of us to his work. If you go to church and you do the Christian thing without any effort, you are missing the point of church. If you come to church and you only sit and soak and sour, you're missing the point of what church is all about. So if I made a list, and I know this sounds very personal, but if I made a list of all the work that gets done in and around our church, would your name be on it? I'm just, just think about the work that gets done around the church, and I think I could probably give a job, a work, an assignment that most everybody in this room is in some way participating. J. Vernon McGee says, now he said it, not me, but J. Vernon McGee says, if you're not numbered among the workers, then you're likely numbered among the troublemakers. <laughs> now, that's just what J. Vernon McGee, he had a way of putting things sometimes, but if you're not numbered among the workers, there's nothing you ever do to improve the condition of our church then you're likely numbered among the troublemakers in the church and you don't enjoy the study of God's Word. Well, for those who are students of God's Word, there are a group of wise men in verse 2. That I gave my brother Hananiah, and Hananiah, the ruler of the palace, charge over Jerusalem, for he was what? He was a faithful and what? And he feared God among many others. Hananiah is not a blood brother. He was a brother in the Lord who was the one who had originally, you remember when Nehemiah was in the king's court as the king's cupbearer and a message came to him to tell him about the condition of Jerusalem and he wept. Do you remember that story when we first were introduced to Nehemiah? It's Hananiah that brought him this message. Such men are now given charge of ruling, recognized as faithful men who fear God more than others. And this leadership has less to do with the position they hold and more to do with the life they are living. Number one is a faithful man. Hananiah has been faithful in the palace and was now made governor of Jerusalem. Leadership comes over time and must not be assumed too soon. Sometimes people want to have positions in a church, and I think that's terrific. But sometimes we, we appoint people to a position who've never yet done one thing. We don't get people involved 
by giving them a position. Hanani is not made governor because he likes them and wants them to be involved. He's already in, intensively involved. And now he gives this position. I've counseled young people who are anxious to get out from under parents. I've counseled people who are complaining about their boss. Maybe some difficult teacher that you've had to put up with. But it is exactly in that circumstance which tells me they are not yet themselves ready to be the teacher or be the boss or be the leader because they're still complaining about those who are over them and they've never yet been faithful in that specific assignment that they have right now in front of them. It's interesting, I'm not sure why, but it seems like those who are themselves the least faithful in the responsibility that is right there in front of them are the first ones to suggest how they would do someone else's job if they just had the chance, right? You've seen that at work. The people that complain about the boss are probably the people that are doing the least in their own assignment. And they think they know how they would do it if they were given the chance. They've never yet themselves proven to be faithful. My friend, it is faithfulness in the thing that you have right now that will determine your future opportunities both in the church, at work, wherever else. Prove yourself faithful. You want greater things? Be faithful in little things, Luke 19. Faithfulness is the one great requirement of the Christian life, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Moreover, it is required in stewards, in a man of God, in a person following after the Lord. Moreover, moreover than anything else, that you might be found what? Faithful. Faithful. So before you start complaining about how things are, ask yourself how to be faithful in the thing that is before you right now. And the thing that will keep you faithful is this uh, fearing God. So he says, and, and they feared God above many. Fearing God more than anything else. Without the fear of God, you're going to turn back when the way gets difficult. If in that moment we doubt the wisdom of God, we'll just give up. What was it that Adam and Eve, Eve particularly first, but then Adam must have gotten caught up in it. What was the one thing they did? They doubted, they doubted that God meant what he said. My friend, if God said it, you can be certain he meant it. And it is to be obeyed. It's not up for debate. Can God list you among the dependable servants in his work? There's another group here, the watchers, I call them, verse 3. And so then I, I said to them, let, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun be hot. We don't want to do things at night under the cover of dark. And while they stand by, let them shut the doors and bar them and appoint watches. So we've got these watchers of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Everyone his watch and everyone to be over against his house. Watchers were appointed so that the light of day might shine upon the business of the city, that nothing would be done in private or under the cover of dark. The watchers in general were to be watching over the, those who came in and those who went out. According to verse 1, the gates had guards, but now, verse 3, attention is being given to who and what business is being done in the city. And not only the business in the marketplace, but also in the homes, these inhabitants over against each house, 
as it is often stated in many ways, as goes the home, so goes the nation. Now, I talk about that maybe at a Father's Day, or I have that conversation around Mother's Day or some other occasion. But it is a fact. It is a principle of Scripture. It's true, and you know it. As goes the home, so goes the nation. And we have a generation of people, I work with them in the city, and you know them perhaps as well. We have a generation of people that simply have no concept of what a godly home should look like. As goes the home, so goes the nation. Matthew Henry said, the public safety depends on everyone's care to guard himself and his family against sin. I couldn't find the quote, but I thought it was a good one. I, I, I can't even remember how it goes, but I just know that it, it's something about if everyone swept in front of their house, the street would be clean, right? So we need to make sure that within the parameters of our house that we've set up the guard. There are things that we publicly condemn, maybe even in church we'll say amen to, and then privately in our homes we allow I grew up in an era that uh, we, didn't, we didn't do a lot. There were a lot of things with, we were, I mean, maybe it's just because I was the preacher's son, and maybe my conversations because the bitterness of my heart as a preacher's son. I don't think it is. But sometimes I think we, we said we wouldn't do things, and in church everybody said amen to, and then in the privacy of the homes, we did it. I, now, just as a silly illustration, right, silly illustration, I grew up in a time when you didn't, if you were a Christian, if you were a good Christian, you didn't go to movies. You remember that? Right? So, nobody? Am I the only, I'm the super odd one out, right? And so you didn't go to movies. But what did we rent in our homes? What did, right? We, we watched the same movies. We, we participated in the same things, but we didn't do that, right? So we're quick to say amen to, but in the privacy of our homes, we do it anyway. Be careful, you know, in the locker room. Be honest in your business. Watch what you say around your friends. But what about in our homes? And you know, in the, the, maybe the place that the old preacher never even thought about is, is uh, you know, our online internet. Psalm 101 says, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. And when I come into my house, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. And then one more group, at least it's implied in verse 4. Now the city was large and great, but the people were few therein, and the houses were not yet built. This is just a group of willing people. Nehemiah begins verse 4 with the same word he began the whole chapter now, right? As opposed to the past. Everything they had originally been called to accomplish was now complete. And the city was large and great. And so with all of this complete, right? With all of this excitement about the work being done, they're calling to this building. Now it's all complete. It begins to wear off now. Some would no doubt be tempted to consider that their part was done now. Now it was time to return home and build their house and their schools and all of that. Now that my kids are grown, now that I'm retired, now that I've sold the business, now that 
we sold the house. <laughs> now that, and you just fill in the blank. Now that, and sometimes we move away from where God wants us. I'm not saying any of that's wrong, but just guard that. Because now that all of this is complete, we sometimes take a break from what God wants us to do. But now is not just compared to the past, but also the present. Verse 4 says the people were few and many had evidently moved on to other things, which is the story of many great ministries, by the way. Many great ministries. Uh, how was how's the saying goes? First there's a man, right? The kind of people rally around. Then there's a movement. So there's a, an excitement of what goes on and the machinery that goes with it. The building is built. The things are happening. And then a monument, Right? And it's just lifeless. And many a great ministry has gone that same direction. And in the end, has accomplished nothing because it was just about the person. But in the present, the great spirit that had built this place was now distracted by many other things. The spirit that once kept them working with a... Do you remember the story of where, how they wept, worked with a weapon in one hand and a, and, a, and a tool in the other hand? Remember that conversation? They've got a... They've got a uh, a spear in one hand, a, tr a trowel in the other hand, and they're doing the work. And now it's time to take off the tool belt, they think, and they let down their guard. At whatever point you now feel accomplished. Now just hear me out on this. Think through on this. At whatever point you begin to feel like, you know what? I've arrived. I've accomplished. I've achieved. According to Proverbs 18 and Proverbs 16, you are now just one step away from destruction. At the moment you begin to feel like, you know what, we've accomplished something. We've done this. Now I'm just going to take off the tool belt and relax. You're just one step away from destruction. We must not now or ever let down our guard for the devil will be happy to let you glory in your past so long as he can control your present. Then finally, now, is also in contrast to the future. Verse 4 concludes, because their houses are not yet, right, there's more to do, built. One house may represent just a few. One garden, just a few. But the Lord built this place, right? The Lord built this place. Remember he said how he was able to say the good hand of the Lord that was upon him. Psalm 127, the Lord has built this house. And you move that into the context of the church. Maybe it's just a little, just one little class. Just a few students. Maybe just a few cards that are sent. Maybe just a couple of words of encouragement. Just a song that's sung. Maybe something that's played to the best of your ability. But our future, our future depends upon your willingness to carry on where others are no more. And that together we move forward. If in your coming and going to church you have no appreciation for how your part affects the whole, then we will soon begin to fail. You remember the story of those geese? I picked up a few facts about them. Together, they fly 71% farther than any of them could on their own. 71%. That's pretty impressive. So much more being done. 
as the lead goose grows tired, he rotates to the back and others take the lead. Any goose that falls out of formation quickly feels the drag and now must work harder to catch up. And what about all that honking, right? Is that complaining? No, that's encouraging. They're encouraging the leader to keep up the pace. And if a goose is wounded and falls to the ground, no less than two other geese will stay behind with him to make sure that he either receives what he needs to heal up and wait with him or until he dies and then they'll fly on and join up with another group and fly on themselves. My friends, together we will always accomplish more than we can alone. On your own you'll quickly feel the drag. Your encouraging words may be just what someone else needs to hear. Because of what you have been through, maybe you'll stay, be the one that stays behind with someone else and just weeps with those who weep and encourages them in their walk. The balance of the chapter is in that review of names that you're not related to, and you're not going to stay around to read the credits as they begin to roll. And, uh, but these are people that have served faithfully. As the Lord tarries, there's always the urgency of now. And now, even is the accepted time, if you don't know the Lord as your personal Savior, not a more convenient time, not a more excited time, not a time when you have something else to do, but now, now is the day of salvation. If you've never accepted the Lord as your Savior, this is the moment, this is the opportunity, not a more convenient time, but now. Let's pray together.